Well, good morning. I want to just start by saying thank you very much for, um, well, for the applause before I preach. Um, it's, it's an act of faith on your part. Um, but I just want to thank you very much for the uh, recognition that we got last Sunday uh, for our 40th uh, anniversary. Les and I were very touched by that. We were also very surprised uh, when it happened. Um, it, just to come a backstory, before the service, before we started Expression, Dom spoke to us individually out in Missio Kids area and said to us, you know, well, happy anniversary. And our reaction, both Leslie and my, what my reaction was like, oh, that's today. Um, and it's not that we have just completely forgotten it, but it's that uh, we have actually some really good plans where we're really going to celebrate it. And that's going to be coming down the road in, in um, May and June, we're going to be taking off for three weeks to England and Scotland. So we, we, we have uh, plans. We want to celebrate that. Um, I'd like to just shift gears here. And I'd like you to think for a second with me about going to a restaurant and you, you order a dish. Let's say you order teriyaki and they bring you the dish. They put the, ter the teriyaki in front of you, take a bite. And as you take the bite, you go, Ooh, something is missing here. And as you think about it, you think, I, I think it's the soy sauce that's not in here. So that Teriyaki sauce really isn't teriyaki sauce. It's some other kind of sauce. Um, you've got something that says it's teriyaki, but it really isn't. And this is the situation we find as we look at the, the, the church in Sardis that we're going to look at today in Revelation 3. We see that there's a church that um, is, is missing something. There is something that is, that is gone. Um, and this ingredient that's missing in the church is something that makes it that the church really doesn't, doesn't represent who Christ wants us to be in the world. This seems to be a, a thriving church. Uh, everyone thinks about it as a, a going place, but in reality, something is missing. So we want to think about um, what, what, what that is. Jesus, as he looks at this church, he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. In other words, what you say you are isn't what you really are. You know, we are uh, in the time of Lent, and in Lent, we, there's kind of two ways of approaching Lent. One is approaching it and thinking as we journey towards uh, Easter, the crucifixion, the resurrection, we think about what might be in our lives that we need to take out of our lives. What are the things that we need to get rid of and, and, and do away with? Uh, one of the things that I've done uh, this year is to think about how I scroll on my phone. I find myself sometimes scrolling on my phone and, and, and lo and behold, oop, oh, there went a half an hour. <laughs> and I said, you know, that is giving less time for God to be able to speak to me, for me to be available to him. So I've, I've tried to uh, push scrolling on my phone off and, and, and be more present in the moment. But Lent is also a time for thinking, what do we need to add in? Not only some of the things that might be blocking us in our relationship with God, but what are the things that we need to add back into our lives so that our lives will be more effective? And I think this is kind of the, 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 where, where, where John is going, where Jesus is going in this letter um, as, as we talk about uh, this, uh, the city of Sardis, the church that's in Sardis. I'd like us to, before we get, read the text in, in Revelation 3, I'd like us to, I'm going to just want to give you some background on, and there's downfall everything. Um, 
I'd like us to think about the uh, some of the aspects of this church in Sardis. For one thing, it was a very big town uh, uh, for the area. It was about sixty to one hundred thousand people. Um, Twenty years before this letter had been written to the church in Sardis, the church had the the, the town had had an earthquake similar to the one that just happened to Turkey, um, and it destroyed everything. All of the buildings were destroyed. The Romans who were occupying that country and that that part of the uh, of Turkey came in with lots of money, rebuilt it. It was a brand new city. It was it was beautiful, um, and it also had um, a reputation of being very resistant to outside attack. Except for in two occasions, uh, commandos were sent over the walls into the city, and they went and opened the gates, and the city fell. And that's important for us as we look at this text, as we look at what. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna see uh, coming up. So let's let's read our text for today, and it's uh, Revelation three. We're gonna start in verse one and just read straight through. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we start out this letter, Jesus says, look, look at me, here I am. I am the one who has uh, the sevenfold Spirit of God. Um, in the ESV that we just read, it talks about the seven spirits of God. It's probably better translated the sevenfold spirit of God. In other words, this is the Holy Spirit in his fullness, the Holy Spirit in his energy, in his wisdom, in his insight. And someone as the Holy Spirit who has walked with each person in that church and knows them intimately. He has perspective of the church. Then there's the seven stars. And these seven stars, as we know from uh the first chapter of Revelation, are the seven angels of the seven churches. So Jesus has the angel of the church of Sardis that he has in his hands. He is, he is, um, he is in contact with. And so he has insight into what is going on into this, in this church. And he knows its strengths, he knows its weaknesses, and he begins to speak to those things. And he starts out and he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive but you are dead. Now, this deadness is not the deadness like you, you know, going to back the hearse up and uh, we're going to take the body away. No, this is more like something is dreadfully wrong. That is a deadness that is that, that in spite of being really, truly alive, there is something that is missing. And we'll talk about some of those things. So the thing is you're dead, but, but what's wrong? Why, why is it that Jesus says they look like they're alive, but but they're dead. Why does he say that? In in we get it. It's a little bit clearer when we get into verse two, where it says, um, "Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die." And here's the key phrase: "For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God." Um, and and this is 
an interesting comment, uh, and it's, I think it's key for us in understanding this passage and actually applying it to our own lives. The NIV translates it, I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. The message says nothing of God's work has been completed. The New Living Translation says your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. So something is missing. Uh, this word that is translated uh, complete is also a word that's mes- uh, used for the, for the word uh, translated uh, fill or fulfill in many different passages in the New Testament. Something is, is, is not matching up to what it should be. <laughs> it's not complete. There's something that is, isn't there. And you know, when we think about the church and we think about a church, that's something that's missing in the church. We often, often begin to start thinking about programs. Okay, wow, man, is there a, something's missing in our, maybe in our, in our expression on Sunday mornings, or maybe it's um, our youth program or our children's program. Uh, maybe it's our missional communities. Uh, maybe it's um, uh, our outreach. Maybe it's how we're interacting with the community as large. And it could be all of those things. But I think as Jesus looks at the church, he looks at us as individuals in the church. He looks at us and who we are, and we can actually take this personally to think about what is what are the areas of our lives that we need to consider and, and look at? So things like our family life, uh, things about our parenting, um, our personal walk with God, how we interact with people at our work, how we talk with people at our school. What are we like in our community and in our neighborhood? What is it that is, is, is happening in our lives? We need to take all of these aspects and look at them. You know, how we live out our lives is extremely important. And Jesus isn't looking only at what happens on Sunday. I mean, I think in some ways that, that's a starting point, but it, it's really important. It's like the uh, launch of, of, a, of a rocket. You know, what happens at the, at the liftoff is important, <laughs> but what happens during the trajectory is equally important, if not more important. So we want to think about the way that um, Jesus is looking at this church. He says something is missing and something is missing in some aspect of their lives. And what this letter seems to be saying to the churches is, is this, and that is that God wants to put back what's in, in, in how the church is living out its mission in the world. Jesus wants us to make sure that we are, are complete, that when we say we're teriyaki sauce, we're teriyaki sauce, right? That when we say that this is who we are, that we're actually living like that. I don't know if you remember one of the points that uh, Joel made last week, but he said Jesus is passionately concerned about the integrity of his church. And here again, Jesus is actively and, 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 and powerfully saying, hey, something's wrong. We need to correct it so that we as a church, as we live out as his body, the body of Christ, that there's a real representation of what is happening or, or what, what, what Jesus looks like. And what could be, so I go back to this question, well, what's missing? You know, the problem in this text is it doesn't tell us what's missing. So I'm going to suppose a couple of things that might be missing, <laughs> and I'm going to suppose them out of my own life, because these are things that I struggle with. One of the big things that we struggle out, one of the things that could be missing in our lives is we forget that we're dependent on God. We forget that God has, 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 has connected us to himself in a real living and vital way, and we begin to think that it all depends on us. Everything that we're going to do, how we live our lives in our families, how we live our life at school, at church, at work, wherever it is, we think it kind of depends on us. And we think that we have to do things in our own power. Another thing that that I struggle with is forgetting that I'm loved. 
that I'm loved deeply, that I am God's child. Um, very often, we 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 think that my I have to I have to live up to to what God wants what God wants from me, and it all depends on me doing it, and and God's not going to love me unless I live up to what He wants from me. We're going to address all of these in just a second, but then there's another one that is forgetting that we're covered by grace. And this leads to a tendency that we have, that I have, of, of, of thinking I've got to earn it. I've got to make it happen. I've got to, to make myself look good. I've, I've got to put myself in a position where I can, God looks at me and he sees um, how, how, how well I'm doing. Not only does it make me push me into that, that attitude of I've got to make this happen, it also makes a tendency towards perfectionism. And when I don't do exactly everything that I think that I should do, then I beat myself up. Another thing that happens with, with perfectionism is that we often it often leads to criticism. We're not perfect, but we more often see the imperfections in others and we see them in ourselves, right? Right? We want to. We need, this is why Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. And these things are things which, which, which make us as, as Christians, as individuals, and as churches less effective, less filled with the Holy Spirit, less loving, because these things are driving our lives. And I really believe, I think it's really important for us to understand that God wants to put back what could be missing in how we live our lives. And this is why this message is so important for us today, is because like last week, we, we, we put things in the rocks in the box that were represented things that were keeping us from following God. Now we want to think about things that are, that are not in our lives that are keeping us from being who Christ wants us to be. So what does Jesus say to this church? He gives four commands. And they're really quite, quite interesting. The first one is, wake up. He says, he says in verse, in verse two, wake up and this is a call to be alert, to be watchful, to be self-aware. And Jesus has, over his ministry, uh, did over his ministry, talk about and called us to be alert. Look at the different things he says. He says, stay alert. Don't let the lamps burn out. Watch and pray. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds wide awake when the time comes. We need to be alert as to what's going on in our lives. And very often, uh, we get caught up in the pressures of life. We get caught up in the humdrum. We get caught up in the, the daily quotidian things of our lives. And we, at times, lose, lose uh, focus on what's really most important for us. It's interesting it, when Paul is giving his instructions to Timothy, he says to them, he says to him, watch out for your, for your, for your life and doctrine. He said, I'm going to just read it. It says, it says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that whatever, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. What we believe and what we think will impact how we live. How we live sometimes may not always be exactly what Christ wants for us. So the first command he gives is be aware, be alert, look around, check yourself. Um, you know, there's a, an old saying, check yourself before you wreck yourself. You know, this is what he's saying. He's saying, look, listen, listen, something is wrong. He's saying to this church, something is wrong. Maybe he's saying that to us in our lives. Second thing he says is strengthen what remains. 
strengthen what remains and is about to die. You know, as we look at different things that might be missing in, in our lives, things that might be out of accordance with what we think God wants for us, um, there, our tendency is sometimes to go to extremes. So let's just say, um, I'll just speak from my own personal experience. I struggled with my spending time alone with God for that being a meaningful encounter with God. I don't know if that's a struggle for anybody else, but it is for me. And um, over time, I have gone through phases in my life where I'll read large sections of scripture, or I'll read short scripture, short sections of scripture, or I'll read a devotional, or I'll read a book uh, that points me towards Christ. But what I do in doing that is I strengthen what's weak. I look at what is not working in my life, and I say, what can I do to strengthen that? Sometimes what we want to do is say, I'm not getting much out of my quiet time. Forget that. I'm not going to do it. And, and I think we have this tendency to reject and, and recognize when things aren't going quite as well as they should, and our tendency is to just reject it. Jesus says, strengthen what is weak. And then he goes on, and I, again, I think this is really key for our understanding of this text and where we can go with it, is remember then what you have received and heard. Remember what you have received and heard. Be alert, strengthen what remains, and remember so when we think back about those different subjects that I brought up, I thought about being independent of God, of thinking that it all depends on me. I'd like to just read John 15, 4 and 5. It's, here's, here's a reminder for us. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless you abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can produce no fruit apart from your connection with me. And the antidote for thinking, hey, I'm independent from God is to say, no, I can't really do anything productive for God's kingdom aside from being connected with him. And then the second thing, forgetting that we're, we're God's child uh, is something that, that I struggle with. But here's, here's a verse that comes to me that, that has been powerful. I memorized this, I think, when I was in fifth grade or something. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. When we recognize that we're in a, in a relationship with Jesus Christ where he's, and, and we're in a relationship with the Father, we're, we're a part of his family now. He cares about us like we're his children. Uh, he doesn't look down on us when we fail. Instead, he embraces us. He reaches out to us. That's who he is. There's a current song that's being, uh, I heard on the radio just the other day, it's a Christian contemporary song that says, on my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. And we need to believe that and hang on to it. It's a thing that keeps us real, keeps us humble, and keeps us coming back to the Father. And then forgetting that we're covered by grace. And here I'd like to read part of uh, Ephesians 2. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not your own doing, didn't depend on you. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that you've done so that no one may boast. Here we see in this passage, a, a great promise that, hey, we are, we are, we are covered by grace. We are, we are invited into a relationship with God through grace, through Jesus Christ saying to us, hey, I died on the cross for you. And if you accept me, you receive me, uh, you will have forgiveness of sins, and we will be in a relationship that will not only be 
present and real and alive here, but will last into eternity. And it's a great promise that he gives to us. But then he adds this. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus is inviting us to work. Yes, he is. But with a completely different aspect than it depends on me, or I've got to do this to earn God's favor. Now it's God has saved me. God has taken me from a place of deadness to a place of life. And now I have the opportunity to serve him out of love. When we serve and it's not out of love, it becomes duty. It becomes responsibility. It becomes, it becomes a burden and it can weigh us down. And what Jesus says is you're covered by grace. Now you've received grace. Now give grace. So these are reminders to us on these three different areas I was talking about, things we need to remember. You may need to remember something else. Maybe there's another thing you need to be remembering today. Maybe it's that God is good. Maybe it's that God is powerful. Maybe it is that, that God knows you and is walking with you. Whatever that is, we need to find out what that is and strengthen it. We need to remember it and hold on to it. There's a last command that Jesus gives, and this is repent. And repenting is turning from the wrong direction to go in the right direction. It's a change of heart that results in a change of direction. You know, sometimes we think about this word repent and we think, oh, this is, you know, self-flagellation, uh, beating ourselves up, being mean to ourselves. And it's not. What it is, is saying, oh, I'm going in the wrong direction and I need to go in that direction. This is killing me. This is where life is. Those are our choices. And we need to do that. And this is really a form, again, it's a form of grace that God gives to us. Jesus says to the church, you're dead, but you have a chance to change. There's a chance to repent and go in the right direction, to be fulfilled, to be complete. And you may think, wow, this seems like we do a lot of repenting around here. And my response is, well, I hope so. Luther said this, this is, this is the number one thesis on the 95 thesis that he hammered into the get, uh, Wittenberg door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. He said, repent. He, sa he says this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Think about that for a second. Jesus wants us to be continually turning from the wrong way to the right way. I mean, and it's a form of grace. It's an opening to us. It's something that we do by faith. It's something we do because God has, first of all, extended his hand to us. Repent. And then he finishes with two things, a warning and a promise. His warning is, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Remember that this, this city had been overthrown two times by inattention <laughs> uh, to their defense. And they were, they were conquered, not by a massive army, but by a very small group of men who climbed the walls and got inside the city. Wake up, he says, wake up. And this is our second time that he's saying, wake up. And then there's a promise. And the promise is that there are some who really are still alive. He says, there are some uh, people who have not soiled their garments and they walk with me. They will walk with me for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the life, the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and his angels. He's saying all who conquer, and in this sense, 
the sense of not letting sin dominate their lives, not control their lives, and who are living out Jesus through their lives, these people will also be dressed in white, the white clothing that represents purity, spiritual purity, and they'll be with Jesus forever and be recognized as faithful before God the Father and his angels. And then he closes with this um, one injunction that is at the end of all of these uh, letters that he's written to the churches that are in, in present-day Turkey. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'd like to tell you a story about one time when I forgot, when I forgot something that was really important, a number of things that were really important. Um, we were, I was uh, in 1981, uh, two friends and, uh, and myself traveled through Asia. It was a real um, step of faith for us. We, we left uh, Seattle, um, actually left with a one-way ticket and about $150 in our pocket. And we said, God, you called us to do this trip. We'd prayed. We'd prayed many, many hours about this. We were really convinced about it. We had contacts, people we were going to see, but we didn't have much money. <laughs> and so we stepped out of faith to make this trip. And um, all along the trip, God provided for us, provided money for us, uh, provided food, provided transportation. And uh, we got to Hyderabad, city in India, and we bought tickets uh, for this one day to, to travel. And we got on our train. And as we got on the train, a missionary that we'd been staying with put his hand through the window and he says, here, take this. And it was a wad of rupees and we needed them. And we said, wow, thank you. Then the ticket collector comes along and he says, um, the, the, your tickets aren't valid. We say, what? No, you're not valid. Well, what do we do? Well, you have to buy your tickets again. Okay. So we paid our tickets. He said, we said, well, how do we get our money back? And he said, well, you can go to this one place in New Delhi and they will give you your They'll, they'll, they'll reimburse your tickets. So we thought, okay, Delhi was not on our, on our trajectory, but we made plans to do it anyway. We stopped in New Delhi. We had a couple of contacts there. And I went to this place, the address they'd given me, eight o'clock in the morning. I show up with my tickets and I walk in and I hand them to this gentleman. I say, here, I, and I explain the issue. He said, okay, have a seat. So we sat and we sat and we sat. And the temperature in New Delhi got hotter and hotter. I think that day it got up to 112 degrees Fahrenheit. Noon comes around and he says, oh, you know, tickets, the money's not here yet. Um, you're going to have to wait. Um, um, here, you just, just, just wait. I'll, we'll go. So he left for lunch. He came back. We're sitting there. We wait, we wait. And he said, well, in order for you to get your money back, we're going to have to give you this paper and you're going to have to go to the train station and the train station, they'll give you your tick. They'll give you your money back. Okay. All right. And so we're waiting. I said, what time, when, you know, does it, does the ticket open all the time? No, it closes at five. Like, oh my goodness. 4.45, he finally gives us the paper. We then run over to the train station, which wasn't too far away. We get there and I hand him the paper. He hands me the money and we go, oh, now. Great. We had tickets that night to leave on a train. I said, we have time to go home, take a shower, change clothes, and go and catch our train. So we get home. We get back to the hotel. It's a guest house. Get back to the Methodist guest house in New Delhi. And um, I step into the shower, and I turn up those. I'm just, man, I can't wait for the shower. I turn on the faucets, and there's no water. And I'm just sitting there and I'm saying, I waited all day for the shower. 
and and you and I'm, I'm, I, my thinking was, and God, you can't provide a shower for me. I mean, God, this is such a, this is a slam dunk. Why can't you do this? And it's like my whole vision of God faded into the background of like, God doesn't care. He's not there. If he can, and, and he just, he, you know, this is really bad stuff. Uh, I can't trust him. And this, after all the ways God has provided along the trip, right? So, and so I, I, I just, I'm so angry and frustrated. And um, I say to the guys that I'm traveling with, I said, I am, I'm so angry. I cannot, I can't manage. And I was the team leader. So, so I said to my, the guy who was kind of the second in command, I said, Hey, get us to the train station. I, I just can't handle this. And so we get to the, we get in the taxi, we get there and I'm sitting, sitting in the waiting room or we were a little early for our train. I'm sitting there and I'm just, I'm just steaming. I mean, if you could have seen me, there was smoke coming out of my ears. I'm just sitting there. And all of a sudden I hear this sound in the background and it's kind of like, I, I'm not registering what it is, but I can hear it. It's kind of like, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. I'm like, whoa, what is, what, what is that? And I get up and I go into the men's room and I go to the final stall and there's a shower and there's water coming down. I said, man, I don't want to, I don't want to take a shower here because I don't want to get my towel dirty. I know. And I said to, I went to the attendant. I said, do you guys have to rent towels? Oh yes. Oh yes. Sahib. We have, we have towels. So I went and I took my shower and as I stood in the shower and I'm taking probably the most blessed shower I've ever had in my life. And I'm sitting there and I began to think, what did you forget about God? You forgot that he could supply your needs. You forgot that he's covering you with his grace. You forgot that he's there present when you need him. You've forgotten. And I was rebuked in my spirit, but I was also repentant and rejoicing and cool, uh, temperature-wise. There was something about these experiences in our lives that we're going to walk through where we're going to realize I forgot that. There's something I've forgotten. And what I'd like us to do now is just to take a few minutes and think about this, about what God might be saying to you today about something that you might have forgotten, something that might be missing in your life. I just wonder if you could just think with me just for a few minutes about an area in your life that God might be speaking to you today. Maybe about an area in your life that needs to be strengthened something that you recognize, oh, I, I need to work in this area. Maybe there's like a foundational truth that you have um, maybe neglected or have forgotten. Um, and it's something that, that, that uh, God wants to speak to you about. And maybe based on what God is saying today, what if anything in your life do you need to change as far as your thinking and your actions? What I'd like to do is just take a few minutes here of silence. Uh, I'm going to just give us a couple minutes, um, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll pray, and then uh, have some communion before we close. So let's just take a couple of minutes here of silence, and ask God, what are you speaking to me about today?
Father God, we come to you today with humility, and we come to you also with great gratitude. For you have extended your arms towards us when we were undeserving, when we were unrepentant, when we were avoiding you, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and you have welcomed us. You have touched us. You have granted to us to know you personally and to be in your presence. Father, we pray for the strengthening for, that we need right now. You know the needs in this body this morning, our pains, our hurts, our frustrations, our difficulties. And Lord, we pray that you would be present to minister to us today. My Heavenly Father, we thank you that you grant us grace upon grace, opportunity after opportunity. And so we open our hands and our hearts to you today to ask you to, to speak to us and to guide us and to lead us. And Lord, may we be true teriyaki sauce today, the real thing, uh, and that you, you live your life through us and out to others as well. In Jesus' name, amen.